Hey, I'm Wood Schiller. I am the host of the Improv Comedy Connection podcast, and I have been uh, privileged to organize a COVID-19 Improv Summit, how the improv community is responding in uh, light of the COVID-19 crisis. We have two episodes that we have uh, put together for you that relate to specifically online improv. And the first session, which I'll moderate, will be dealing with why are we doing improv online? Uh, what are the implications of how we approach this art form in this new media? And you're going to hear from some great guests with some great perspective, some thoughts, hopefully some encouragement for you as well. So let's get into part one of online improv for the COVID-19 Improv Summit. Welcome to this second episode of the uh, COVID-19 Improv Summit. We have a, uh, a great group of people here to talk about what has been a very active part of the improv community in these last few weeks or months even. And uh, we're gonna have what I think is gonna be a very engaging topic and a follow-up conversation on this as well. Um, but I'm gonna ask everybody to go around, and we'll start with Amy on this, to um, uh, share their, uh, first share who they are, give a little introduction about who you are and where you're from. And then I'm gonna ask you to also say, what has been the biggest impact that you've experienced in your improv improvisation or community uh, with this move and increase in activity online? So Amy, we'll go to you. Um, hi, I'm Amy Gerlich. Um, I've been doing improv since 2001. And I was originally in New York and then I moved out to Los Angeles. I'm at West Side Comedy. Um, I help uh, with by being, I guess, the artistic director of eimprov.org. Uh, we started in 2014, Terry Withers and I, and stopped two years later and have restarted. Um, I think the biggest thing for me personally, because I've been doing online coaching since 2014, um, is just the resurgence of it and you know people back then thought it was so silly and it was just such a ridiculous thing that we were doing um, and I really enjoyed the fact that I was able to connect with people in other countries and form we did jams with people from you know all these different countries and trying to organize that time wise was really interesting but then just getting to know um, the patterns that of training from different countries was super interesting um and i think that that's people are starting to see that again um also it's i i you know as an improv teacher you never really make money i mean you make enough to survive hopefully but for some reason these past two months i've made more money than i've made in five years so <laughs> like actually have a savings it's i feel very very lucky that I have this bizarre niche job that is somehow, you know, uh, making money at a time where a lot of people aren't making money right now. So, very lucky. You what? Yeah, I, the money thing is really weird and surprising that we're able to sort of work. Uh, so I'm Ilana Fishbein and I uh, am an improviser and teacher at the Magnet Theater in New York City. I have been doing improv since I was a teenager, so for a little over 20 years. 
And, um, huh, boy, how has the biggest thing changed? Was that the question? <laughs> yeah, kind of what's been the biggest impact for you uh, with so the increase in online? One of the things that has been so amazing is, um, I've been able to do certain classes that I've been wanting to do for a really long time. Uh, like for instance, a class um, specifically for middle and high school theater teachers, uh, an improv class specifically for them, uh, kind of giving them tools and improv exercises that they can teach to their kids. And these are people who are busy all the time and would never be able to gather in a room together. But I've been able to put together this group and we've, We've been meeting and having an amazing time. And um, that always seemed to slip through my fingers uh, in, when life was normal. And now we're able to actually manifest a class like that, which is incredible. And it's been incredibly inspiring. And I'll add this, one of the people in the class is a teacher of mine from a summer program I did in 1997. And it was that summer that I first saw Second City. And seeing that show made me be like, this is what I want to do with my life. So that's incredible that he's a part of that class. Um, so Nice. Jay? Uh, hi, my name is Jay Suko. I am currently uh, based out of Los Angeles. Uh, I teach with uh, Amy at Westside Comedy Theater. I also teach for Second City in Hollywood. And I uh, have my own company called Today Improv. And yeah, I think the initial, the biggest um, impact was financially because we're seeing a lot of uh, people's um, income initially go to nothing. And you're also seeing a lot of theaters um, either suspending operations or outright closing. So I think that's like the, the, the initial big impact. Um, and then after you weathered the storm for a couple of weeks, what you started seeing was this, this improv community started rallying together and said, okay, um, this is kind of accelerated innovation in a lot of what we do uh, improvisationally. And so right uh, early on, I was like, I want to get on board with this. I want to be able to, to do scenes with people from all over the world and teach people all, all over the world. And, and maybe the money doesn't come at first, but if I can offer that, maybe it can be something that like helps us um, um, comfort each other in a strange way. And so I think it has done that. It's kind of brought this global improv community closer and we don't have any other choice right now. We can't do anything live. So I think a lot of people are looking at this as an opportunity. And I know I'm one of them. I think it's a, a, the change is scary at first, but after you get used to this is how it is and this is how it's gonna be for a little bit, then there's an opportunity to reach people that you wouldn't have normally been able to reach and it's um, become actually more affordable for a lot of people. And they can reach out to people on this panel and people that they wanted to take a class with. And Lord knows we've got time. So now's a great time to reach out to a lot of improvisers that you, you want to learn from or want to play with. So I think um, after that initial fear and anxiety, um, people are starting to bounce back and improvisers are, are very resilient. And so uh, I'm very thankful for that. Jules? Uh, hi everyone, uh, I'm Jules Munns. Uh, I am one of the ADs of the Nursery Theatre in London and I also perform with the Maydays, which is a company from London and Brighton and kind of around the UK. Apologies my camera by the way, I don't know why it's doing that today, it's decided that this is the time to go in and out of focus constantly. Um, I've been teaching improv online for about, uh, I guess it's probably in the five or six weeks now. We got on it very, very quickly after the lockdown happened. 
because um, in a few classes last year when we were thinking of rolling it out and then some other things happened. So we had this like tiny little bit of experience um, doing it. Um, I got to say, I, I love it. I was saying a whip before we came on, uh, came on the kind of recorded section of this call. I'm a house cat. I like being in my house. I like my stuff. I like my chair. I like knowing <laughs> that my coffee is in there and it's going to be the way I want my coffee to be. So I love this because um, uh, despite the way I sometimes come across, I do actually really love people. And uh, I love the, the opportunity to play with people globally is really exciting. I was teaching a class, I think it was two days ago. And the closest two students were in the next room to each other because they, they were a couple and they both booked on there in the next room to each other. And the furthest distance between students was one guy in San Fran and a, a lady in Wellington, New Zealand, which so you don't have to look it up is 11,000 kilometers because I did look it up. And, um, and I think it's going to be one of the things that the wit wants to talk about in this session. But um, to me, the joint function of improv as artistic um, aspiration but also community building. And it's not a compromise between the two. It's both of those things at the same time. And I think how that can, how you can do the community building stuff on an even greater and wider scale is so exciting. Because we travel, our Maydays travel a lot. I travel less than most of the Maydays, but um, still a fair amount. And uh, that uh, there's so many people that I get to see who I never thought I'd see again. Because they did a class with them three years ago and now suddenly, they're on my screen in my thing. And I've still got my own coffee in my own coffee mug. It's, it's great. I mean, obviously, this is, I don't want to make light of all the, um, the, the challenges that are going, uh, all the challenging situations which are happening globally. But um, there is a lot to be happy about. Um, and ap apologies if I gave my uh, distance between Wellington and San Fran in the wrong. I was trying to go for the correct unit of distance. But yeah, it's quite, <laughs> It is a it is a heavier uh, U.S. panel. Uh, some late uh, changes made us uh, much more focused on the U.S. than was originally intended. So all of the Americans listening are still having to look up what is eleven thousand kilometers. Jules, Jules, we got it. We got it. it's about six hundred miles. We got the conversion. We're Americans. We're very smart. Let's go to you, Paul. Uh, I'm Paul Valancourt. Uh, I've been advising for about thirty years. I started in an improv show and I literally said to myself, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. So uh, I ended up joining that group and then going to Northwestern, joining a group there, just sort of like trekking around, like wherever there was improv to be, I was there. I took a class from a guy who was teaching in the basement of the Department of Defense at one point. At uh, Second City Comedy Sports and ended up at the I.O. in Chicago and ended up starting the I.O. West out here. I also host uh, Improv Tips on YouTube, uh, which is a resource for people to come and check out me and other people talking about improv and just giving uh, our two cents. Oh, and also, so what is the biggest impact? Uh, I think sort of for me, the impact is more... Um, All right, well... Paul, you uh, on our end, it sounds like you're breaking up uh, a bit. So uh, we let you okay. roll with it. Um, hopefully we caught a lot of that um, and you have a stable connection. But again, I guess how appropriate that we have one of the things that you have to deal with when you're having an online improv discussion is somebody's uh, bandwidth or connection being what it is. So um, hopefully we caught it based on whether Zoom is recording on your end. We caught a lot of it though. So, um, and if, if uh, that's not true, 
I was saying that to make you feel better anyways, Paul. So <laughs> we'll see how she goes. Uh, why don't we go to Roy? All right. Uh, my name is Roy Yannick. I'm out of Austin, Texas. And I'm part of a four-person group called Parallelogramophonograph, or PGRAPH for short. Uh, we do a lot of narrative improv. And I'm also the artistic director and one of the owners of the Hideout Theater uh, in downtown Austin, Texas. I've uh, been an owner of that for about 11 years now, actually 11 years as of last week. Um, and I started taking classes there uh, a couple of years before that, so in 2005. So uh, that's been where my experience has been. Um, as far as like the biggest impact, uh, mine isn't quite as rosy because being an owner and artistic director of our theater, which is also a coffee house, the financial side of the equation will never uh, balance or even come close to balancing. Uh, we're actually, we're live streaming all of our shows now on Twitch, uh, which is a free platform, but we do sell tickets to them on a voluntary basis on our website. And we are actually selling tickets to those shows uh, but still, when you compare the number of tickets we're selling for online versus the number of seats we were filling on any given weekend and the lost revenue of the coffee house, it's a complete wash. Uh, but the thing that we are learning and the thing that's super useful is uh, what our community of performers and students actually wants out of our theater when the theater isn't there. Uh, we've been uh, we've been doing a lot of shows, and a lot of them are interested in performing, but more than anything they want that sense of community to continue. Uh, and whether that just be engaging with our Facebook group or uh, participating in jams or taking specialty workshops or even just getting together to watch things, to, uh, watch TV shows together, all of that stuff, trying to figure out like, what value do we bring to the table when we're not literally just bringing our physical space? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a unique opportunity to learn that specific corner of our uh, business. Because I think Jules is totally right when he was saying, you know, you're balancing the finances and the artistic merit and uh, community all the time. And now at least, uh, you know, through no choice of our own, finances is kind of uh, out of the equation. So we can actually focus on one aspect of the business uh, that we couldn't ever focus on in isolation before. Now, that being said, we're making up some of the finances with our classes because there's a lot of strong interest in learning and now our uh, potential student base is worldwide. Especially we have a very strong youth program and there is so much interest right now in kids' classes uh, because uh, parents want their kids desperately to have activities to do where they don't have to engage with them every single minute of it. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot more. To also doing shows is really fun. There's a lot to say, we'll get to it. Okay, Vaughn? <laughs> Ditto to everything everyone said. <laughs> That's the benefit of being last. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Vaughn Daniel. Um, I'm, here yeah. in Dallas. I'm here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, I'm current owner of the Comedy Arena. Uh, we're actually celebrating our three-year anniversary of being open. Um, I am currently in comedy sports. I currently sit as the president of Comedy Sports Worldwide. Um, how this has impacted us in comedy sports is actually kind of, it's really interesting because it's rough for everyone. Um, but because comedy sports has nearly 30 uh, branches worldwide, we're actually able to challenge each other on a weekly basis. So you might see, like last week we had Houston versus Dallas. You might see uh, Manchester versus um, Portland. So it 
has kind of opened up the world for us to actually be able to see and play with people we've never been able to do that with. Um, comedy sports has an annual championship we have each year where we see each other, but this has a lot of platform where we can actually see each other almost on a daily basis. I'm seeing people now that I usually see once a year, I'm seeing them like five times already. I'm like, I just saw you yesterday. Do we have to do this again? But you know, it lends, it lends to having to see all these faces and having community. Um, where we are, our theater is actually in downtown McKinney. So we've actually opened up to some of our merchants where the merchants there are closed. Uh, they aren't able to have servers there. And we've actually done virtual shows for them where we've added more to the community by bringing in merchants from a coffee shop to maybe uh, an arcade to possibly the comic book store. And we're gonna get together and do like a panel with some jokes and some improv. And it's kind of opened up the community because we're all kind of in this together. Um, and it's kind of see the personalities come to life where we never would have done this if we hadn't been in the situation that we're in now. We literally would have just heads down, continued our business, you know, stay in my lane. But this has kind of forced us out of our comfort zone to play and be interactive with people that we probably wouldn't be. Um, so that's how it's probably impacted us the most besides the financial. So uh, yeah, and uh, kudos to everyone of what you said because I was gonna say the exact same thing. So there. Well, I guess I get to go last and ditto to everything that everybody just said. Uh, <laughs> that was my line, Von Nodes. <laughs> um, I'm Witt Schiller. Uh, I am the uh, one of the head uh, uh, fish sticks at Fish Sticks Comedy and I'm based in Milwaukee. And we have teams in uh, Atlanta, Denver and Dallas as well. And uh, for us, I think the biggest impact has, has been the community aspect among the individuals in these different markets who knew each other some, and we have interactions on social media and things like that. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a periodic interaction in person, but now we are seeing these people, <clears throat> like Vaughn said, two, three, four, five times a week now, and those social media connections are also different uh, as well and more um, strong. Uh, so that has been a very big impact for us, as well as, you know, things kind of shutting down in terms of the live stuff. Um, I want to circle back, though, really quickly, Vaughn, for, for you, and maybe it's um, uh, just to clarify, when you say you're opening your space up to local merchants, are you opening up your virtual theater front, if you will? Um, can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so we tagged on a new branch of our business. So we're called the Comedy Arena. But during this portion of time, we are the Comedy Virtual Arena. So we have a show called Fibbers, where we invite merchants from across our Metroplex to come on our show. Um, and we kind of ask them questions and they're trying to lie to two comedians. And we're trying to figure out if they're telling us the truth or lie. So what that has done is those merchants have now opportunity to share that event with other people. And now everyone who may not have known the business owner of the arcade now gets to get a little more personality of that person. Um, kind of maybe even some inside jokes that they may know about that person that they would not have known before. And then when this is all over and you're actually able to go back physically into the arcade, you actually be like, oh, hey, that's Mike. I know him. He's the guy that found the thing in the thing because he told the lie on the thing in the show. So it kind of is, it's kind of planting the seeds for future for when we do get back together that those relationships now can have 
kind of kind of built or started from the virtual shows. Wonderful. Um, well, let's let's. Um, there, there's obviously a lot of richness to what was in each of those answers. So let me just pick out a couple things because our time is is going to fly by in this uh, this particular session. Let me start with the money aspect of things in a sense. And um, there were a number of comments regarding uh, what the impact was. And clearly the physical shows, you know, vanished. I mean, we saw our show calendar go from really strong to where did that all go in, in overnight almost, right? And um, what do you think that experience tells us now that you've also had some of the reaction from the people in your communities as to what is primary that we as improvisers or the improv community uh, provides? Uh, what, what is our primary product and do we look at that at all differently now that uh, we've had this experience? Uh, Paul, go ahead. Okay, great. So um, I think for me, it really points out in stark relief, kind of something that I felt in LA. Um, one time I was listening to a guy talk about marketing and he was uh, he talked to a beer company and the beer people were saying, we're not versus other beers, we're versus share of mouth. Anything that people want to put in their mouth versus beer, that's what we're competing against. And I feel like in LA, it's, it's, it's really clear to me that like, we're not just versus other improv theaters. We're sort of like, versus like staying home or versus going to that cool party in the hills or versus that movie premiere. So I think now what I think is really interesting is that now we're as an improv community writ large, we're sort of on TV like or on the internet versus everything else on the internet. And it's and so to me that really sort of points out the thing that that the improv sort of brings or that I've always sort of really gravitated to or what I think why people I think come out of their houses or or do go to an improv show versus anything else is that sense of community. It's like, I've said it before, it's like, it's like there's some primordial part of us that likes sitting around the campfire, telling stories, watching stories. We're all in that environment together in this thing that is essentially ephemeral. It's there for 30 minutes or an hour and then it's gone. And then it's literally, you had to be there, right? So I think that sort of, for me, a big part of what we offer is that, experience that community that sort of like connecting with other people and we were there that time that x happened you know because otherwise it's like if it's just like oh entertainment like it's it's an improv show versus the avengers on netflix or whatever you know what i'm saying like it's mm -hmm. the the equation's tricky otherwise right yeah i totally agree i just wanted to add a little bit to that uh, i don't think we've ever been in competition with other improv theaters it's always uh, we're in competition against inertia or Netflix or anything like that. Um, and I think part of the thing that we've noticed is our theater is very focused on performance. So we knew we wanted to do shows right away. Uh, one of the things that we thought was like, oh, we can also show reruns of some of our old shows that we recorded, but that's, but it hardly got any engagement. And I think that the reason for that is that the thing we are providing is that interactivity and that community. And even though we're doing like improvised plays, there's something about people watching the show live uh, and maybe being in the chat room and just literally typing ha 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 or that was great uh, to make it feel like they're part of the live experience and that they're, uh, they're you know, witnessing the act of creation 
which I think is a big part of the appeal of improv, that we're all sort of creating it together. And their energy, even in the chat room, is having an impact uh, on the show. In fact, I was hesitant at first to like keep the chat room that we do all our shows on Twitch open and kind of clock it while we were doing the show. But I found it's become a good substitute for uh, the audience's laughter and clapping. And so I kind of keep a soft focus on it. And it makes me feel like, oh, I'm not just performing in a void. There are people there. And that's nice. Yeah. Jules, you had your hand next. Yeah. Um, frustratingly, uh, Roy said a lot of the stuff that I was going to say better than me and just before me, but that's just having conversations with Roy. Um, so I think uh, uh, the, the question was raised about like, we give people the value of just having been there and the word there gets really problematic in this, in this environment because in what sense are we there? In what sense are we here? Um, anyone who's listening to this conversation who's not part of it is listening to it after the event and they're listening to us having genuine interactions but there is something slightly less there which is interesting. And then to, to Roy's point about um, having people on Twitch and interacting there a lot of people are creating shows which are maybe created in Zoom and then streamed through Twitch. So you have different layers of audience possibility. You'd, someone could be in the Zoom room with you or in a Zoom webinar with you. They can be watching it on Twitch live. They can be watching it on Twitch later. There's lots of different versions of there, which our brains, I don't think, are particularly well equipped to deal with. Because right now, my, my brain's buying that you're all in my study, and I love it. You all seem like lovely people, those of you that I haven't met before, and those that I have met before, you are lovely people. Uh, apologies for my camera again. Um, so it's, yeah, it's like, it, there are bits of our brains which we're, which we're trying to, I'm going to say fight against, but I think it's that. I think we're trying to work out how to use the best things and ignore or bypass the unhelpful bits. Uh, and also, Roy, uh, a couple people said very generously, we weren't fighting other improv theaters. I'm fighting other improv theaters. And now I can take you all down. Um, <laughs> I just wanted, yeah, just wanted to mention that. Uh, Alana, Alana, the challenge goes to you. Uh, <laughs> take Jules down. Let's see this point. Right. Down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm taking a bit of a pivot because I, uh, I want to just talk about more, more like how the how classes and trainings are really creating a sense of community. Like, I think that a lot of people do improv uh, because it's cheaper than therapy. Like we know, we know this to be true, right? Um, and it is therapeutic. It makes people feel a lot better. And especially more now than ever, people like really need like relief from their, their mental state. And they, they are seeking connection uh, because they're, some, some are in very, very dire situations, you know, or they just need relief, whatever it might be. And so I think like all of us in this room, like we're so, we, we are masters of our craft to some degree or whatever that even means. Um, but like my, my thinking when all this happened was I gotta, I, I can figure out Zoom really quickly and I'm brave enough to like throw myself into this. I need to just make other people feel comfortable with it so that they can reach out to their communities. Um, because if suddenly this, um, uh, you know, this line to, you know, therapeutic improv is cut off because people are afraid to, to teach or to facilitate, or they don't feel like they're, they're up to it, then, then people are going to be miserable. 
you know? And so um, I think like we all have responsibility to make more and more people feel comfortable reaching out to people in their community and keeping those practice groups going, whatever it might be, you know? Did you feel that the, we'll just use the, the label you used in terms of therapeutic was uh, a big part of what you or your theater was offering pre? I think so. Um, I think like, I don't know that it would, people would say that explicitly. I think part of it is because it's dangerous. Like we're not therapists, right? But we, we know that we have community value and personal value to, to individuals and that it, you know, the magnet, and I'm sure all of your theaters, like they're really community oriented. It's not about getting famous. It's not about being funny. It's about doing scene work that is all about like connection and strong relationships. And there's a, there's a reason why, uh, you know, because there's a lot of heart there. It's, you know, that's, that, when all of this is, when, when all of this has vanished and we don't have our theaters, like all we have is people. Like it doesn't matter whether we're funny or not. Let me go to Amy, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let me go to Amy next. And then I'm going to uh, kind, of, uh, kind of move a, the, the topic a little bit. Um, just in the interest of time, but um, Amy, you've had your hand up and haven't spoken on this uh, issue or this. this uh... Uh, yeah, I agree with all of you. I think the thing that I found uh, from doing it for uh, back in the day and then revisiting it is uh, I'm almost loving this idea that I can have my improv shows recorded. And um, also I, I, because I've done it for so long, I have a lot of interesting people that find me on Reddit. So it's like, I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a German doctor who's been trying to figure out a way to bring improv into his practice with his patients who are terminal. And it's been some of the most interesting conversations ever. And he was like, let's record these because I'm gonna use it in my panels. I'm gonna use it in my book so I can reference certain topics that we're talking about. And I was just like, my mind was like blown uh, by some of this, the concepts as he was coming up with because he had taken probably 20 improv classes all over the country with, you know, flown from Florida all the way to Chicago to take an improv class. And he was kind of trying to do the opposite that we do, which was, you know, cause I was constantly telling him when he took my workshops, like, oh, you know, don't change, stay the same. People are inspired by your moves. So they're tagging in that kind of stuff. And his whole concept is he's trying to get patients to think that they can change. So going from a, a person who thinks of themselves as sick or ill and terminal and to allow themselves to be a new person and to have a different skin and not be sick and not be, so it's been really cool. And also like um, Elena was saying, I, I love the fact that I, I've been recording all of my rehearsals and then picking a tag run of the week that I think is really good and really fun and explains game on like a certain aspect that maybe I'm teaching to a class and then I'll be in the middle of class and I'll be like hey guys let's watch this clip this seven minute tag run I have that clearly shows a simple game and show them and be like what was funny what made you guys laugh and then uh hearing different people's brains on like liking a sub game better than a, a you know the main game or so it's been really helpful to have the idea that this art that we are like, yeah, let's go do a show and just kind of let it go. 
and that's it. Now I'm like, yes, now we can save them and use them later to like get points across or even my own, uh, you know, I've taught a, a Kronf class for like almost 18 years in New York and I could write a curriculum down, but now I actually have recordings of it where I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that I've used to do this all the time and like actually being able to write out a curriculum. Sorry, that was a long answer. Uh, well, <laughs> let me let me ask uh, as like I said, a little bit of a pivot on this. Um, one of the things that is true that has been acknowledged in this discussion is that everyone is accessible to everyone else in a way that was true before but is now very present and real for us. And so for those of us who have the um, ability, and I suppose um, uh, just sort of the, the, the headspace to kind of lean into that, because there are plenty of talented um, improv instructors who haven't made that jump, at least at present, because of just the circumstances and kind of working through that, right? So this is in some ways a, um, a self-selecting group of sorts who is able to or, or choosing to at this time to kind of move forward, whereas others might feel more frozen or um, scared. But here's, here's what, I, what I, with that said, I want to kind of explore a little bit. There are positives to those who jump into it, and there are positives to those who have the ability to create connections uh, more broadly. I've had some, some great experiences with that myself and I'm enjoying that. But there are also some other consequences to it. So I'm gonna ask just uh, if someone would wanna spend a little time talking about well, what, what would be the negative aspect of maybe the uh, increased um, availability of uh, certain instructors. I think like the thing is we all have to have boundaries, right? And that's like normal for real life too. Like, just say you're, say you're not available. Don't fill up your calendar because these are crazy times and you need to take care of yourself too. Really? Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. That's it. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, and that's also a reason why you need to train more people to teach improv, right? That's it. Okay, now it's it, now that's it. <laughs> Roy, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So if the question is maybe about, uh, you know, that because it's a worldwide kind of improv audience and potential student base, if like certain people are making themselves extremely available, then it we're suddenly all competing with each other. Uh, I don't know if that's what you were going at, but I'll, I'll go down that road for a second. Why not? Oh, for instance, like the Maydays are doing like they jumped in immediately and they're offering daily and now like twice daily uh, drop-ins uh, for people across the world. And they already have like a, a, a great rep. And so, you know, they're pulling people in. But the thing I've learned like locally with the improv scene is that ultimately all that stuff makes your product stronger and gives you ideas. And uh, when you're not operating in a vacuum, your growth uh, grows tremendously. Like when I first took over the hideout with a couple of other people in my theater, uh, we were the only improv theater in town. And then a few years later, another improv theater started up with people that we knew and loved, but still suddenly we had competition. And uh, they 
they made community their first priority right out of the gate. And pretty soon we were like, we have to do more in terms of building up our community and make people feeling welcome at our theater if we're going to compete with them in that regard. So I don't know, even if someone has their act together and they're blasting out ads to a worldwide audience, I think ultimately it'll just make everyone stronger. At least that's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> Jay? Um, you know, it, it's funny. Improv is, is the only art form that somebody who've never seen an improv show can go to one improv show and if it's terrible, they'll never see improv again. Like they will not see the art form. They'll be like, I've seen improv. And I think the same can be said of some teachers where if like, and this is my personal view is if you're not creating a safe space and you can drive somebody away from taking improv classes because you as the teacher, you are not creating that safe space or you're telling a student, here's what you should have done in a scene and you're making them feel bad about their choices. To me, that's more of a negative consequence is like, yeah, don't come into this because you want to fill your ego um, or you want to be king of the room or you want to make people feel bad because of how fun you are or how smart you are. So you want to, you want to like show uh, the students how to improvise and you're going to drive them away. So that, that's the one negative for me is like, you shouldn't be driving people away. You should, it should not be an unsafe space. So as, I feel like as long as you're making it a safe space where people can, can grow and um, challenge themselves artistically, for sure, I think that's fine. But when you, when you start letting your ego get into play and you start um, making it something then other than what it's not, then I have an issue with that. It's like it needs to be safe for everyone. Yeah, I, I think that uh, um, those, those are all interesting observations. And, and in part, I guess my question did have a little bit of a different kind of angle on it but I think all of these responses are uh, interesting and important. I guess part of it for me feels like um, there are, um, and maybe this is just kind of sort of evaluating um, sort of an American culture kind of thing where there can be almost like a colonization kind of aspect in terms of the cultural aspect. Do we have some of the same aspects in terms of our improv schools of thought where if this um, maybe more developed uh, just based on time and developing curriculum over the years or tracing back to this um, mentor, instructor, whatever, and then exporting that to a community that is developing its own voice, figuring it out on the way, do we end up missing some of the twists that may come from a younger improv community that has been overwhelmed by the, the quick influx of these established um, schools of thought. Jules? Yeah, I think, um, uh, I, I feel like everything I'm gonna say this evening is gonna start with, the question that interests me, and I have no answers to any of this, is about how we, define the boundaries of our communities now. And Roy was talking about their community in Austin, um, who are a very strongly locally, geographically defined community. Whereas the Maydays community, because um, you know, we, as a company, again, sorry for the camera, as a company we started in Brighton, which is uh, a pretty, it's not tiny, but it's not big. Um, there's not enough people there to maintain a professional improv troupe. So uh, we, did more stuff in London and then we travel internationally. So I would say that the Maidos community is defined um, more by a relationship to us than it is by anything specific to where anyone lives. Um, and I think historically, 
uh, improv communities have been defined geographically and, they've, and in those cities which are large enough to sustain more than one, they've been defined then geographically and then divided into the kind of th two, three, four schools, however many like UCB, IO, you know, annoyance, those kind of things, speaking as a massive outsider to any of this stuff. And I, I suspect that over the next um, two or three years, we're going to have to completely redefine, re rethink how we define the idea of an improv community. Because I know, I, yeah, I was teaching class this afternoon and there was, um, was a lady there from Pakistan who has uh, been to quite a lot of our classes. So I met when I was over there a few years ago. And there's a lady there um, from Bethnal Green, which is about two miles in that direction. Um, and their, re their reaction to each other was, oh my God, I, I haven't seen you in, in days. How are you? Like they were, I had to stop them from bubbling and kind of taking over the whole class because they were so pleased to see each other. And there's no way that you can't call that as important a sense of community as people who can clap each other on the back of the physical space and buy each other a beer. We are just not used to how that works yet. Um, and it's not to like to throw aside, it's not to, um, to ignore the kind of physical geographical communities, but these other communities are gonna have to be in existence. And I think, um, I think there is a danger of those established um, uh, schools and uh, teachers and all those and, and companies kind of, what's the word? Uh, franchising and being able to sell globally. I think there is a bit of a danger of that, but the, whenever you have, um, whenever you have a, a business or a community in which one idea or one or, or, or a few large, uh, solid, defined ideas seem to be taking over and monopolizing, people are going to start being difficult. People are going to start doing it um, in another way and people are going to start opening up spaces to do something in, in a very different way and that is a hundred times easier in the internet in the online space like you want to open a theater that's in twenty five thousand um pounds minimum in london which is 300 miles in case someone's trying to convert it um but if you want to open an online theater that's 150 dollars for zoom and get a friend to design a logo and have at it if you're good people are going to come um so yes there's absolutely that danger and i while we're talking about dangers, and I promise I will shut up, um, there is also the danger of those people who will never cross the bridge into the online space. There is those people who um, are, are financially, practically, emotionally, psychologically unable to engage with people in this way. I am right on the boundary of being technically a millennial. I am not a millennial, but technically I'm right on the boundary of it. And um, I feel like it would be very easy for me to have just gone, improv on a computer? That's not improv. And then just gone in there and read a book and there's thousands or millions of people who would have done that same thing as me. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. <laughs> Sorry, Amy. I'll try to be quick. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think this kind of answers a couple of the questions, but when I started doing online coaching uh, in 2014, we kind of had a collection of people that were doing it. So um, what we would do is once we've kind of tapped out of our kind of expertise or we saw that a team needed to work on something new, we would recommend. So it was like Anthony Atamanik would have recommend me to a team in Kansas City and then I would recommend Kevin Mullaney from Chicago to work with them. So we kind of all worked together to do like six week stints with these different teams. And um, just the other day, like I've been working with this guy who's a professional poker player who just decided he wanted to become an expert on improv and he wants to do daily 
daily improv rehearsals with just me and we'll go for an hour and then he'll be like want to do another hour and I'm like oh because then I'll have to teach a class later it's like sure I'd like the money but also my brain kind of taps out at a certain point so the other day I said hey um, I'm gonna bring a guy on and uh, we're gonna do scenes and it was just my husband who's also an improviser in the kitchen and so the three of us did stuff and he was like hey when we take our days off can I ask uh, Zach to do stuff so now it's like every other day we work with this one guy <laughs> because I'm like take him take him for an hour <laughs> like please so I think that um, we don't need to be afraid of someone being overly worked because I think we're all kind of community-based enough to go I'm done teaching what I know and now I want to you know send them to Jules because I think that he'll have an interesting way of converting whatever they're working on now. Let me come to you, Vaughn, as a, a follow-up. Uh, one of the reasons that I thought it would be um, uh, interesting to have you on is also your perspective with um, comedy sports, which I think in general has had a different model and target um, that is more for a, a mass audience as opposed to improvisers. So there's a community and there's also some of the external focus that has been there. And I saw that with Dick Chudnow, who uh, was part of my training experience, the founder of Comedy Sports. And um, it sounds just even based on what you shared earlier that that's been a part of your um, experience as well. Um, does, does the aspect of the broader availability, how does that factor into how Comedy Sports might think of it on a kind of on a corporate level, if you will, um, versus maybe what some of the either individual instructors or the individual standalone theaters might think about it. So, Does that make sense? No, but I can figure it out. Okay. So, so comedy sports, you know, as you know, we have a lot of different facets and a lot of different branches. So we are really heavily into um, AI, which is applied improv. <clears throat> so we've actually, we have curriculum that's specifically designed for corporations to go in and do, um, some people might just quote it as team building, um, but AI is the applied improv of what you could take from the improv world and bring it into the corporate world, and how can you tweak those tools and those mechanisms to work in every facet of working with other adults, uh, which is what improv is pretty much all about. How do you get your idea to work with everybody else to yes and to you know, get all on the same page? So comedy sports has always been doing that in the real world, and now that we are in this virtual environment, we've actually, I don't want to say it was an easy transition, but it was something we were already doing. So the ability to tweak some of those tools that we were doing physically, doing it online, has allowed us the opportunity to actually go into these same businesses that we normally would go into and say, hey, we know you were able, you had to cancel your physical thing, but we still can offer you this online thing. Um, and we're actually getting a lot of success with it. So a lot of the companies, because their employees are working from home, and they're not able to actually go into an office or go into a community center or um, wherever they would gather and do these activities for them. So we've actually seen a great, um, we've been received very positively by the businesses that we've worked with in the past. Now on the aspect for kids, so you know, comedy sports is for everyone. So it's a very, it's a clean format. Um, this purposely designed that way. So we are HR friendly. We literally can go anywhere and not worry about content being inappropriate. 
So that also dovetails into our high school leagues. So we're still able to work with some of our high school, high school drama teachers and providing them with curriculum. Um, as was mentioned earlier, you know, those teachers are, are starving for something to do with their kids. And now they're scrambling to, how do, you, how do I teach my kids in this environment, especially drama or improv? And we're able to still lend those tools to those institutions. So I think well, that's your question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me, let me close our time because uh, we're, we're right there. And, and um, uh, one of the advantages of having a panel of this size is the number of perspectives. The disadvantage is the amount of time that we get to hear from each individual perspective. But I'm going to ask at least a few of you to answer this last question as we close our time for this portion of uh, the summit. And that is, if you were to um, look forward, uh, let's say we've got uh, the vaccine uh, and everybody is not worried about COVID-19 anymore and it's, uh, we're able to go back to normal if uh, you know, that's accessible to us as it isn't in this moment. What place do you think or what would the vision of uh, how the improv community um, uh, does its best in, uh, in, in having online improv part of the mix. What does that look like? What, what do you foresee or want to see uh, on the other side of, uh, of this crisis? I don't think we're ever going back. I think this is a brand new normal. And I look at it like, you know, the more that this progresses, the more the technology is going to get better, it's going to get cheaper, it's going to get more affordable. And I think it's going to be part of what we offer. I think definitely, you know, we all got into this um, because it was fun and to do things in person. And we like that feedback. And as a performer, it's a lot different right now improvising for a camera than it is improvising for a, a live audience. But it's almost like looking at this as improvising on film rather than improvising live. But I think as we move forward, I think there are so many more cool innovations that are happening that we're forced to do that. I think it will become part of what we offer. And like Amy said, you know, you're working with people all now across the world. And so you're able to do that. Whereas before people might not have been able to afford to go to festivals or travel to various towns, they can reach out and work one-on-one -on -one with, with pretty much anyone. Um, and I did a scene the other day with, with my buddy, David Escobedo, and he had cut out a, or he had a, like a um, paper towel ring and he put it up to the camera. And then it looked like he was looking through a tunnel and I said, oh, cool, we can start now incorporating a lot of those devices and techniques and kind of playing around. But I don't think it's going to return back to where it was. I think this, um, this whole online virtual improv is going to be just an addition. And like I heard earlier, some people just only will do it live in a, you know, on a stage or in a classroom with other people. And then, then some are going to um, look at expanding and branching out and using this and utilizing this format. So I think, I think there's definitely um, um, an excitement moving forward because this is now another way to reach people. And you have to look at it as like, why are you doing improv? Why are you teaching improv? Why are you performing improv? Um, and then that can help kind of navigate where you land. But I think this is the new normal and it's just going to continue to grow and evolve. Right. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Um, I don't think that my theater will be doing nearly as much as we're doing right now if we have our physical space open. But the thing that I think is super interesting is the stuff that uh, the advantages that you do get regardless of the situation of the world. 
like this came up in the chat room of one of our shows recently. They asked if my four person group was gonna keep performing this way when the theater reopened. And we were like, well, we're not gonna do five shows a week, but the peop there's been a core group of like four people that are tuning into all of our shows and none of them live in Austin. It's someone in Florida, someone in Boston, and uh, someone in, uh, I can't remember where, but not in Austin, that's the point. And it would be a real shame to, to just let that relationship drop. And plus doing on in, online improv is super fun. Uh, so I know my four person group will probably at least do a monthly show and have guests from all over play with us. And also the kids classes, that stuff I think can still be, it's so useful and so such a great option to offer uh, people. And, uh, and then also we were talking earlier about these different schools of improv uh, being unique and the worry being that other people or other schools with bigger uh, engines of marketing are gonna kind of steamroll them. But I think the opposite can also be true, which is like my theater specializes in doing like theatrical narrative style improv. And like we can offer these targeted online workshops to people throughout the world. Uh, and I think that's a really cool thing. It'd be like, learn what makes our theater unique and take the stuff that you find useful uh, going forward. So yeah. Jules? Um, I am fascinated by the possibilities of uh, shows which blend online and offline. Uh, we were experimenting with live streaming our shows with moderate success when, before we moved out of the theater. Um, I'm fascinated to see what could happen that you have an audience in the space who's watching the show in the way that we all kind of grew up with and count with and expect and also audiences online having a different but equally valid experience and the same thing for workshops there is absolutely no reason why someone can't teach a workshop with 10 people in the space and if that's shot well you have a moderator or second teacher who's looking after the online class which is following some of the same material um i'm fascinated by that um and also everything that roy said because don't go after roy in any conversation so um, let me uh, let me finish our time really quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go to Paul and then I'm going to come to you, Amy. I'll give Amy you the last word. And I'm, I'm doing that intentionally for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, but Paul, um, uh, when you started doing improv online, so to speak, it was through a, <clears throat> a channel of content. Yeah. And that has continued to be something that you have uh, developed. And, um, and there were aspects that you were able to, you were able to reach anybody in the world with those before. Does that experience that you had inform what you expect you're going to continue to do next, either with that uh, type of channel or uh, how you might place it? Uh, where do you think that fits going forward for you? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um, when I sort of uh, to echo some of the things that other people have said, I think Roy sort of kicked it off. Just the idea that one of the things, one of the reasons I started doing improv tips was because I thought, well, I have something to share, something to contribute, and I can't be everywhere. But through the magic of YouTube, I sort of can. And I've gotten a lot of really interesting comments from people in Russia and Germany and like around the country and around the world. And it's really amazing to be able to take something you love like improv and share it with someone and just have it be there and they can 
you know, watch it whenever they want, as much as they want or as little as they want, whatever. I think that's been really exciting. In terms of what the next thing is for me, I'm not totally sure. I'm sort of like an old dog learning some new tricks. Like I was alive and aware before the internet. And so in some ways I'm trying to, trying to catch up. I think that like younger people who are more natively digital citizens are making a lot more interesting discoveries than I am. I'm always sort of kind of um, laboring, trying to disabuse myself of this idea of putting everything through an analog lens. And then how do I put that online? Like hearing you guys talk about it is really interesting because I think you guys are coming from such different angles than I'm coming from. It's much more interesting, advanced angles. Like I'm getting super psyched about this conversation. I'm like scribbling sort of some, some notes. And um, I, I know that my sort of journey with this started a little, oh, years ago, actually, when I talked to Amy uh, just in passing, and she uh, sort of told me about some of the stuff she was doing. I was really interested and fascinated by it. But uh, I'm just trying to sort of find the way that makes sense to me or the way that sort of um, uh, that, that I can do it. Because I, right now, um, uh, I don't know, I, I struggle with, I, I personally struggle with the Zoom format of an online improv show. And so I'm trying to figure out like, what is the next step that makes sense to me? I know a lot of people, uh, that's that's great for them, but I'm, like I said, an old dog learning some new tricks. And so um, I'm not totally sure what the, what the next thing is. I mean, I definitely wanna keep doing improv tips and sort of sharing those sort of static little pieces of information, those static ideas that people can access like a book, like a very analog, sort of allegory of a book or a or you know some, something like that but I am really interested in sort of taking it online and see if there's a more interactive way to do it but I, I don't know I'm sort of learning a ton from this conversation so I'm I think I need to sort of just uh percolate on it and sort of figure out what my next step is I'm not totally sure yeah uh Amy um let me ask you, you you had your hand raised so you may have a comment you want to kind of weave into this but let me ask you to kind of finish our time as someone who has been doing online performance-based improv, which has been a topic, but it hasn't been the primary focus of our time. Can you share uh, what the arc of that experience uh, was? Not, not in full, but in more, what I'm asking is, what do you think that uh, your experience can teach those of us who are going down the performance online route um, so that it is that much more successful or useful or um, whatever it is. What lessons are there for someone who has been doing it for six years? Um, yeah, I think that it, it kind of ties into to the, back to like this idea of analog um, and the stuff that Jules was talking about and Paul. Um, what I've noticed from doing a lot of shows lately is that I can see that I've had more experience with this kind of format so i feel like my the level of my performance is uh kind of uh comparable to what i do on stage because i'm not limiting my imagination to this box which is like that's what i tell people who are kind of weary about doing this kind of performance i say well we're already in a empty box with no costumes and no props like we're already asking the audience to have this like mirror neuron experience with us where we have zero things to be holding or doing. So why is it any different? Why are we limiting our 
you know it's like like jay was saying like people using different things and like i've seen people doing like fire and everybody's doing fire at the bottom it's like we just have to remember our five-year-old selves and become playful again you know and, and burn it all down um but i did want to just say that the thing that i love see that's what's so lovely about improv everybody just yeses it um but there's a team called neutrino in new york uh, that I'm sure Elena knows, but, uh, and some of you guys do too. Alana, <laughs> I'm teasing. It's a, it was a bit and I'm like, it's a bad bit. Um, but the, uh, what they did was at UCB, they were a Herald team that would come on stage, get a suggestion, and then they would disperse out into the city of New York in twos with a camera person. Each one of them had a camera person and they would come run back to the theater and this was still analog and they would run their tapes um, and then another uh, video guy would come in and they'd run their tapes. So it was the beats of the Herald and at the time everyone's brain would explode but even when we were doing e-improv we had these young college kids that would come to me and be like hey we're gonna do multiple google hangouts and, and switch it like a tv production and all of us will be outside doing scenes and we won't be able to see each other's work and i was like yes so i think what we need to do is kind of go back to the beginning of how we thought of improv uh, when we first started and also this idea of analog versus digital and how can we play like editors to as like movie editors rather than you know we're limited wonderful well as i said along the way uh lots of great perspectives and um i know we've just kind of scratched the surface on this we are going to spend uh time together with at least most of our panelists um on uh, a continued conversation about online improv but um thank you to all of you for your um, contributions to this conversation, for the openness to sharing and the encouragement to step forward, to say yes, to uh, see what's new. And uh, um, there, there just might be a, a very uh, exciting world uh, on the outside, on the other side of this. Um, there's a lot of optimism on this panel. I hope that is something that is also maybe a gift to some others who could use a little bit of that. Um, take some of that and uh, do well online as well. Thanks to Amy, Ilana, Jay, Jules, Paul, Roy, and Vaughn uh, for their contributions to this first portion of the online improv exploration and this sort of breakout session for the summit on the improv community's response to COVID-19. A lot of uh, great insight. Uh, there is a part two to this, which you can certainly uh, move right to on the podcast. Uh, or online on YouTube, where this will be put out. Um, and uh, we will have a discussion a little bit on the how, but uh, even though there's gonna be a lot of great insight and tips about putting on a performance and training online, uh, you're also gonna find a lot of encouragement in that as well. So I encourage you to check out part two of this exploration of, again, online. Thanks again for checking out this special edition of the Improv Comedy Connection podcast. I, again, am your host, Whit Schiller. I'm an improviser out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's been my privilege to be able to organize uh, such wonderful improvisers in the initial summit conversation as well as this, and uh, I encourage you to stick around for part two. You can find more information about the podcast at improvcomedyconnection.com, and hopefully we'll see you again soon.